you are responsible. And where you sit today is the accumulation of all the millions and billions of decisions that you've made in your 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years of life. And you really can't point the finger at anybody else but you as to where you are. And that could be a great insult or that could be a great compliment. I'm your host, Anna Malikian, and before we start, please remember to visit Mindset.Zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone, to access all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at Mindset.Zone. And if you want to get the free chapter of my book, Mindset Zone, please go to mindset.zone forward slash book. Today, our special guest is Austin Clark. Austin is the owner of Moxie Pest Control, an Arizona-based company that was listed on the Inc. 5000 in 2022. He also co-authored a book with Michael Eb Gerber on how to apply the e-myth to pest control businesses. Welcome to the Mindset Zone, Austin. Anna, thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about our, our conversation that we'll have. <laughs> and I have to admit that when um, a mutual connection you invite me to go to your book launch, I thought twice because pest control is not in the top of my like worries apart when I see a scorpion here in Phoenix. <laughs> but I'm very glad that I went. First of all, you did an incredible event, really top notch. And I really loved your presentation there and the, the focus that you gave to Steve Arcovey of the seven habits of highly effective people for you personally and for your business that when I was listening to you there, because it's one of my favorite books too, I said, okay, I cannot invite Steve Arcavi to my podcast because unfortunately he's not around anymore. But if I can speak about this book with somebody that is also passionate about how transformational the principles and these habits are, why not? So I invite you to this podcast, and I'm so happy that you said yes. And I think my first question for you is, when was the first time that you read The Seven Habits, and how did you realize that was so impactful? Uh, that's a great question. And, you know, as we kind of prepped a few weeks ago for this podcast, I had to think about, you know, some things have been a part of your life for so long. And Stephen R. Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, has been kind of that way for me. So I'm 38 years old, and I think that Seven Habits of Highly Effective People has been a part of my life longer than it hasn't been, meaning I think the very first time I read it, I was probably 17 or 18 years old, so nearly 20 years or so ago, or, or maybe just under 20 years or so. And, you know, I, I believe that part of the, you know, a great piece of work, I think the difference between a good piece of work and a great piece of work 
is one that it's principle based, but two that as you evolve as a human or an organization or a business or whatever it may be, the concepts that are taught or the concepts that are illustrated in whatever work it is, they continue to change and adapt and evolve with you. And what I mean by that, the principles don't change, but you as a person are. And so they take on different meaning. And so for for example, 20 years ago, I wasn't married and I didn't have any kids. Um, I didn't have a business. I, I think I was 20 years ago in high school or just getting ready to graduate high school. And so now 20 years later, I have a little bit different perspective. I've been married for 16 years now. I have five kids. I can appreciate when people talk about raising kids or children in a way that I couldn't previously, not because I was completely ignorant or didn't care, but I just hadn't had those experiences for myself. And so it's been about 20 years or or so or close to it since I first read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey. And I, I uh, have probably read it at least 20 times since then. It's kind of an annual read or every other year sort of read for me. And every time I do, I learn something new or learn something different, not because the words have changed or the habits have changed or the principles have changed, but because I've changed and evolved and adapted, hopefully in a positive way. And so because I have a little bit more experience, the words mean a little something different to me now than when I first read it, you know, as an 18 year old. So and I agree, it's like a, a good book is like it's a good work of art that we can look at it from different angles and see different things and enrich the experience. And this absolutely is one of these books. But let, let me s- just press the pause button here, because I think there is so much richness because this book is being influential for you for 20 years. And I really appreciate that you read it 17, 18 years old. So beginning of your adulthood. I'm curious about, because it's a challenge nowadays with the new generation and in your company, I imagine that you have younger people coming into the workforce. And I think it's a challenge for people absorb one of the principles of the book that is embracing how to learn to stop to react to what life throws at us and how to become more proactive. That first habit of taking responsibility, being responsible of what we do, that is so important. But I think for the somebody with 17, 18 years old, it's great that you were open to that, but tell me a little bit, was that one of the concepts that really impact you in the beginning? You know, I suppose that it was, you know, a lot of the things in Stephen R. Covey's work, it felt almost like I had uh, read these concepts before or learned of them before, even though I hadn't, even though it was the first time reading them. And so I, I think when you hear principles that are true, they resonate in a way it wasn't a get rich quick thing. It wasn't a scheme. It wasn't a trick or a tactic. And I think for me, you know, Covey, he opens the book, I think in the intro, simply saying, hey, reader, I, I need to be the first to let you know, I'm not a pro at any of these things. I didn't develop any of these concepts. 
In fact, I struggle so much with every single one of these habits on a daily basis. I might be the biggest failure of, of all of them. And then when you learn a little bit more who Stephen R. Covey was and the education that he had and the workshops that he did and just the impact that he's had in business in general, you're thinking, wow, that's a pretty humble thing for such a grandiose person, an educated person like this to be able to say. And so I, I think for me in the beginning, that type of humble approach to sharing a lot of, you could argue, the accumulation of his life's experience and life's work and research and study. And I cannot imagine, and most of this, not most, I think all of it was before the internet. It was published uh, years before the internet, at least the original version. So, you know, the, the case studies that you have to read and the homework that you have to do and the scholastic journals that you have to read to be able to pack all of that into a book that is also readable and entertaining. And I love how he intertwines a lot of his personal stories into the book. And so, for me, you know, you mentioned a principle that 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 was really impactful to me at an early age, and that is the idea of being proactive. And <clears throat> it wasn't a popular idea then. It's certainly not a popular idea today to say, "Hey, Anna. Hey, all of your listeners. Hey, everybody out there. You are responsible, and where you sit today." is the accumulation of all the millions and billions of decisions that you've made in your 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years of life. And you really can't point the finger at anybody else but you as to where you are. And that could be a great insult or that could be a great compliment. And so I think people still really struggle with the idea that they, at the end of the day, are ultimately responsible for how they want to respond to stimulus. I think in the book, that's the way that he puts it. There's a gap between stimulus and response. You know, you could yell at me right now, Anna, you could berate me, you could belittle me. You would never do that because you're so wonderful and warm and genuine and kind. And then Covey's argument is to say, and now Austin, after receiving this stimulus from Anna, you can choose how you want to respond. You can be reactive and mirror her and yell back, or you can pause and think and say, well, maybe Anna's had a rough day, or maybe there's more to it. Or, and so that's a lot easier said than done because we as humans, I think, unless we're trained or have really put effort into that, we're very reactive. We're emotional um, as well. And so, you know, the idea of being responsible and that we can be proactive and that we can choose because there's a gap between stimulus and response. Um, it's even less popular of an idea today than it was 20 years ago and than it was, you know, 40 years ago. Absolutely. And I want to go back there because that is one of my favorite quotes uh, that I thinking about the listener that are I know and for some people that are in rough points in their lives, the concept sometimes you are responsible can be, yes, but there are so many things happening to me. Absolutely. The image that I like to give is that we don't choose the cards that we are dealt. It's like we are playing a game of cards. Is by luck, by genetics. We have a hand of cards in our hand that we really didn't choose them. But we have the power to choose what are we going to do and the way that we play them. 
And that gives us a lot of room of maneuver. My background is in psychology. I love to work in positive psychology. And there is an author, uh, Lubrovinsky, that she has a book called The How of Happiness, where she speaks about the happiness pie that is like, like a pie chart that we know that is incredibly half of the pie, 50%, has to do with our genetical set point. So seems by what we now know in terms of research that the tendency to see the glass half empty or half full, there is a genetical set point there that we have to accept. But it's 50%. 10%, and it's incredible when we think that is only 10% when we look in hindsight, is for what happens to us, the life circumstances. So 50%, we can blame our parents for it. Yep. <laughs> 10% is the life circumstances. And I, I understand that when we are living, the hard life circumstances don't seem like 10%. It seems like 1,000%. I had my struggles with health and so forth. I really understand that. But if we are looking at the distance, it's 10% of the overall well-being and happiness. And that leaves us, so 50 plus 10 is 60, so we have 40% that is what we can say that is our attitude, our mindset, the way that we deal with the world. And that 40% is a good slice that we really can leverage. And I really see the stimulant response that, that the, the quote is, is between a stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is the power of choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. And this so, I, I absolutely, I use this quote a lot when I speak about this because the challenge is to be able to see that space. That is the challenge. We have to learn how to press the pause button in order to be able to amplify a little bit that space, to be able to exercise the power of choosing our response, mainly when circumstances are tough. When life is going well, it's easier to do it's that. It's easy. It's easy. <laughs> <laughs> but when life throws us those lemons, oh, it's much easier. Just react. But sometimes just recognizing, maybe I could have, I can learn from it. Maybe if that happens again, I can do something a little bit different. I can try something that can make all the difference. So 17, 18 years old, read the book, was impactful. And then... You read it again like one year later or that was something when you start working? When do you remember reading it again and have another impact? So the, the person that gave me the book was my current business partner today. And so the, one of the reasons that I've read it every year for the last 20 years or so is because we have certainly incorporated this work and Stephen R. Covey's book of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People into our training, into our leadership training, as it relates to our salespeople and sales program, as it relates to our operations people, and specifically in Phoenix, between our top operations people. And I know that this topic is covering seven habits today, but every other year, we will go back and forth and do we'll either call it leadership training or self-mastery training. And, and that comes from 
seven habits, what we're discussing right now and today. And then every other year or off year, we'll do management training out of uh, Vern Harnish's book, Scaling Up. And so, you know, at Moxie, our, our, our purpose or our mission statement is to improve the quality of life for our customers, team, and community. And we take that pretty seriously. You know, we, uh, we often say, look, at Moxie, bugs is what we do. Bugs is our business, but people is what we're really about. And so, you know, you've heard it, your listeners have heard it, that sometimes you might remember what people say, but you'll never forget how someone makes you feel. And so our feeling or our thought is that we want to equip our internal customers at Moxie, our employees, with the very best tools possible for them to deliver a world-class, consistent, replicable service and service experience at the homes of our tens of thousands of customers in Phoenix and then down in Tucson and in 35 locations across the United States. And so we, like Covey, are also imperfect. We struggle a lot with you know implementing a lot of the principles that he's lined out. But it is a very small thing that we do at Moxie that we feel helps to empower our people to and, and, and our employees to learn about principle-centered living, not just at work, but outside of work. We're, we're not hall monitors. We're not looking to know what everyone's doing outside of work or otherwise. But we just say, hey, these are principles and, and ideas that are important to us. We hope that they would be important to you. Um, not just while you're in work, but out of work, they're pretty good ideas to live by. So that's kind of how that's gone. Love it. It's cultivating that culture and that I think yeah. for organization is so, so important because I really remember what the first time that I read the book. For me, one of the big uh, like moments of, oh, that makes all the sense is even okay, because it speaks about that we start as dependent beings from our parents and we need them to survive. And then it's all about becoming independent. And the first three habits that are the private victories is about becoming independent. It's the what we spoke about, the first habit of being proactive, the second habit of beginning with the end in mind, the third habit of putting first things first. That is great for management of our time and, and resources. And it's all about to become better players and more independent. But then they are... If we stay there, we leave a lot on the table because we can do more together than we can do alone. And he speaks about that of the interdependence. If we bring more people together under the same principles, we really can cultivate the habits, the win-win situations, understanding first and bringing that synergy together that really allow us to make an impact out there in many different ways. And, and you know, you said something, Anna, I think that that's what gets really fun and really exciting about interdependence and becoming something that's a little bit larger than yourself. And so if we think about it, you know, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. You do, I do, President Biden does. But he's sure able to accomplish a lot more than you and I are in our wildest dreams. And so how is that done? How does he do that? Well, he has thousands and thousands and thousands of people at his beckoning call and disposal that are working on policy, that are working in different departments. And so, you know, a lot of the times, I, I think this may even be an example from Stephen R. Covey's book, but if, if, you t if, you, if you have the idea of a 
a boot maker and a belt maker and maybe my capacity in a 10 hour shift or eight hour shift or whatever the shift is, is to make two pairs of boots and one belt. Um, and maybe you're involved in that too, but you're much better of a boot maker than I am. And I might be a better belt maker than you are. Well, now if we synergize and I'm just focusing on making belts and you're just focusing on making boots, and then we have some of that specialization and exchange to say, hey, Anna, you're really good at this. I seem to be okay at this. What if we combine some of our forces and, and we each get belts and boots and we kind of trade? And wouldn't you know, we even have a little bit extra or we even have a little bit excess. So with this excess, maybe we take that to the market and sell it. And you're working less hours. I'm working less hours. Our families each have what they need. And we can sell some of this and have a little bit of cream or money or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. And so that, that's, a, that's a really crude, uh, you know, example of, of how capitalism or the workplace may work. But that happens with ideas and that happens on podcasts like this. That happens when you get four or five, you know, people in a room and you discuss an issue or a problem and you're able to uh, network with different people and come up with solutions that no one had the answer or solution to in the first place. And then because Anna said something brilliant and someone else said, well, that's brilliant, but what if we did this? Then you all leave with an idea that is way better than anyone could have possibly thought about on their own. And it couldn't have happened without everyone's uh, input. That is the power of a group. And I think the example that people will recognize quicker is sports. If we think about a team yeah. sport, we cannot expect like American football. We cannot expect the quarterback. He has a very, very important position in the game without any doubt. But if he's only trying to play all positions, <laughs> no chance. And the coach needs to be doing their jobs. Everybody needs to be doing in their best, like you're describing. And then is when magic can happen. When the work is there, when the mind and effort is there, is where the magic can happen in sports and I think in life. So being interdependent and finding this synergy is where the magical can happen. And then trying to tie that with the, referring the seven habits, because the seven habit is the sharpening the saw that is the taking care of ourselves because you are referring the presidents independent of the political affiliations of anybody that is listening. I always, I remember that I always had the thing about several years ago, a decade ago, we'll see somebody, oh, they have time to play golf. They have time to play basketball. What? They, how do they have time if they are doing that so important job? I barely have time to sleep and I just have a job and a young kid, one. How, how is that possible? I always wondering. And when I start to learn more about sharpening the saw, taking care of myself, be more of a high performer. Oh, now I understand. If we, for ourselves as an individual contribute action, and even with the group, we really can learn to work smarter and create a bigger impact out there. It's totally possible. Absolutely. I, I, I love that. And the concept of sharpening the saw is a fun one. And I wonder, Anna, are there activities that you do or what or what do you do to sharpen the saw? 
learning. I'm I'm a lifelong learner. For me, it's like oxygen. If I'm not learning something new, something is absolutely missing and the joy is missing. So I love to learn. I love to read. And this is something that maybe one year, one year and a half, I was always loved to read, but I was not finding time for reading. So I start about one year and a half ago, what can I do to be able to read more? And at the moment, I'm reading one book per week that I love. But I had to change some of my habits. Specifically, I start to wake up earlier and start to create a ritual in the morning to read. And incredible, it's half an hour every morning, how much I can read and how much I can leverage. And then I have a little bit free time and I read a little bit more. And how I enjoy that. I really enjoy that. And that is a way of, for me to take care of myself. That's fantastic. I always wonder, you know, you hear of morning routines or what different people do. And it's really a personal decision too, because what may work for you may not work for others. And what might work for me may also not work for others. And it, it takes some trial and error. Absolutely. And we have to be open to experiment with it. One of the things that uh, I do in my work and now more in my speaking, and that will be the focus of my book because I'm in the journey of writing my own book at the moment. I was looking for what is the missing piece of the puzzle that I can contribute that will be helpful for my work and for the so many other people out there that are doing amazing work. And what I came to find out that if I give an easy way I call it the PIE method, P-I-E. So three letters, an easy way that you can memorize. You don't need to think much. That is learning how to press the pause button. That is that, to create that space between stimulus and response. Learning how to press the pause. And I came to realize that there are three types of pauses. Macro pauses, like uh, we work with a coach. Uh, we go to a retreat. We read a book. We are doing a macro pause that allow us to reflect and to learn new things. That is very important. Then we have the schedule pauses. That is that ritual in the morning of planning the day or a gratitude or journaling. is something that we schedule in our day-to-day and this really helps us to exercise the, the power of pause and then get us ready to the third type that are the micro pauses that is the ones that we need to activate when there is something that triggers us. But it's like a muscle. As more we do macro pauses and schedule pauses, more strong we are when life gives us the challenge. We can press the micro pause and create the space to choose our response. So P for pressing pause. The I is for increasing our self-awareness. And I always speak about thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, not seeing them in a linear way, but see them as three sides of a triangle. Because for some people, it's easier to start with their thinking, but other people, it's more easy to connect with their feelings, other what they are doing. Start with whatever is easier and then see how these three dimensions interplay with each other. And we can increase our self-awareness in a big, big way. And then finally, the E is for experimentation, embracing the experimentation mindset of trying something new. Like you were saying, for some people, for me, it works well waking up early. For some people can be another thing that works for them. And they have to embrace the experimentation mindset because when you are doing an experiment, even if the results is not what you expect, 
you can learn a lot from it. There is no failures, just helpful information to learn from. And that can be very powerful. Oh, I love that. Yeah, there absolutely are no failures. There might be setbacks or something that you learn, but none of the time that you invest in, especially in bettering yourself or your organization or your people, it, it is not a waste. Yeah. And if I manage to teach these three principles, pause, increase self-awareness and experimentation, then when they go to a book like The Seven Habits, even if things don't work straight away, okay, what can we experiment? What can we change? What can we learn? How that helps you to be more aware of what is going on? How can you create pauses that are more efficient? Oh, I love that. Wonderful. So how can people find more about, because you also speak, you have your book, how can people learn more about you? You know, the best way or the best way to reach me is uh, my email address. It's aclark at moxiepestcontrol.com, A-C-L-A-R-K at moxiepestcontrol.com. Um, I'm not super active on LinkedIn. I probably pop in once a month or twice a month just to kind of see what's going on or see what's happening. And so you can find me there, Austin Clark on LinkedIn. And I'm happy to have a conversation with, with anybody or visit with them about anything that they love. I love business, but my emphasis kind of like yours, you're, you're much, much more educated and farther down the road, but I love psychology. I love visiting with people. I love learning what makes them tick or what makes them upset or what makes them happy or what makes them. And so people are just fascinating to me. It's interesting. There's 6 billion or however many people on this planet and none of them are exactly alike, not even close, not even close. So I, I, I love to talk with anybody about anything. And th those are some of the ways that you could reach me. Love it. Is that human potential that if we learn how to unlock it, we can expand a lot of possibilities. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Anna. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. And remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. There you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. And if you want to get a free chapter of my book, Mindset Zone, please go to mindset.zone forward slash book. As always, I'm so grateful you are here. Expand what's possible for you, for the ones around you, for the world. <laughs>